This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Feisty, fearless, and fair. Telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. Tonight on the Rita Cosby Show, coming in just a little bit ago, after deliberating for three hours, a South Carolina jury finds a prominent attorney, Alex Murdoch, it's a case that's been gripping the country, guilty of murdering his wife and son. Here is a little bit of audio from when he was being taken away right afterwards. Alex, did you kill your wife and son? You think of the verdict, Alex? Why do you lie? And he would not say a word. It looks like he is going to spend the rest of his life now behind bars. And joining us now is Fox News legal analyst, uh, the great attorney, Greg Jarrett. Greg, uh, first of all, your reaction, it only took the jury three hours. This case has, I think the whole country has been watching it uh, because he took the stand in his own defense. Yeah, I mean, what took them so long? Three hours? It should have been a five-minute decision. Uh, as I as I wrote in a column a week ago, the evidence against him was overwhelming. Uh, and, you know, he decided to take the witness stand sort of a Hail Mary pass. Uh, you know, he thought he could con maybe one gullible, naive uh, juror with yet more of his lies. And, you know, his problem is he had zero credibility. And within minutes, he destroyed his own flimsy alibi by admitting, you know, that he lied to authority, authorities about his whereabouts the night, uh, you know, his wife and son were brutally murdered by him. And he told police and everybody would listen that he was sleeping on the couch. He repeated it over and over again for the last 20 months. Then suddenly, when faced with the cell phone video that shows him at the scene of the crime, literally three or four minutes before the murderers, he was forced to recant it on the stand and say, OK, you got me. I've been lying. Uh, and yeah, I lied uh, and swindled and stole nine million dollars from my colleagues, my law firm, my clients, my friends. Um, I'm a big fat liar, but now I want you to believe me. Well, you know, in the real world, Rita, that doesn't work so well. And it certainly did not work well here. And, you know, Greg Jarrett, it was interesting, just like you said. And when he got on the stand, I was watching his testimony. 
He said, I'm a liar, basically. He admitted that he had lied because in this case, as you point out, uh, it was on the Snapchat that his son had. So it was social media, uh, basically on the iPhone. He didn't know it was there. You could hear his voice in the background. It got caught for being in the background. But then he said, oh, I lied about businesses. Yeah, I robbed this person. I stole this from one of my employees. I stole this from my boss. Um, I'm a drug addict. But he said, I am not a murderer. And there were still people today when it went to the jury, and you know this, Greg, who thought, will this guy maybe get off? Even though, like you and I, if I was on the jury, I agree with you. It would have been three minutes, not three hours. But there was a chance people thought that because of who he is, he's a well-known attorney, and he used some interesting verbiage on the stand, like, I didn't intentionally do this. I did Like, you could, like, talking like an attorney. Um, right. And he was compelling at certain points. People thought... Even though the evidence, I agree with you, looked overwhelming, there was a fear he might walk. Yeah, I didn't buy his act on the witness stand for for one minute, uh, but I will say I was amazed to watch on television, you know, a a whole bunch of uh, lawyers and legal experts who said, oh, you know, this case has reasonable doubt written all over it because, you know, it's a circumstantial case. Uh, it's not. There's no direct evidence, no eyewitnesses. You know, that word circumstantial gets a bad rap. I take a strong circumstantial case over uh, eyewitnesses any day of the week. Why? Because uh, eyewitnesses tend to lie or make mistakes. They're fallible human beings. They misperceive, you know. Lawyers are fond of saying if, if you have an automobile accident with 20 witnesses, you're going to get 20 different versions of what people claim they saw. Uh, whereas uh, strong circumstantial evidence, like a cell phone video that places the accused at the scene of the crimes at the time of the murders, I mean, that's pretty much incontrovertible. Cell phone videos really don't lie. And, it, you know, this was a high-tech case, I will say, because wasn't just that. It was, for example, the navigation system in his, you know, SUV when he pulled up and called 911. Uh, 20 seconds elapsed uh, between the time he turned off the engine and the time he called 911. And yet he told police, oh, I I got out of the vehicle. I went over to the bodies. I, I first I checked my wife and 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 touched her. And, and then I went over to my son son's body and I tried to turn him over and his cell phone fell out and I, I put his cell phone back in and yet well first of all you can't do that in 20 seconds that's just completely impossible so that made no sense and and second of all there, there's no blood on him I mean they, they were lying in pools of blood there would be blood on his shoes and if he's touching bloody bodies blood-soaked bodies there'd be blood on his hands and probably on his clothing and yet he was clean as a Hounds, too. So, you know, and then he, he lured the victims to the property that day, said, said uh, people who testified. Two uh, other people said he tried to get me to lie and change my story to conform with his. You know, th- this is a guy who has a reputation as a bully. Uh, a judge came up to me. Uh, I, I live here in South Carolina. A judge came up to me, he said, he, former judge, former prosecutor. He said, I've known Alec Murdoch for decades. He's always been a miserable, awful human being. And I think the jurors in the end 
reach the same inexorable conclusion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Greg, Jared, I know you got a busy night. I am so thankful that you're here on the Rita Cosby Show with this big breaking news, my friend. Great to get your analysis. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Rita. Take care. Thank you so much. And we're going to take your calls, everybody. You heard what Greg Jarrett thinks, and I agree with him. Uh, There's that cell phone, basically, video. It was on Snapchat, and you could hear in the background. He said, oh, I wasn't anywhere near the murder scene. And they weren't even able to open it on the son's phone. This was the son that was killed. Then they were able to get the Secret Service to actually crack the phone. And it took a year and a half later. So for a year and a half, he said, I was nowhere near the murder scene. I wasn't there. I wasn't there at the time. He wanted everybody to believe him. He was this prominent attorney who everybody thought, oh, gosh, how could he kill his wife? How could he kill his son? And then suddenly the Secret Service gets into his phone and they hear a dog barking and they hear his voice in the background. And he was forced on the stand to admit, yeah, that is my voice. And then, of course, the next question was, well, why did you lie for a year and a half? You said you weren't near the scene. This is right at the time that this happened. And he had to concede that, yeah, I was on the scene somewhere around that time, but it was after the fact. And then he said, oh, yeah, I'm a drug dealer. I've done all these drugs. I've, you know, I've done all these things. I'm a liar about this. I'm a liar about that. But I did not kill my wife and son. Like, believe me on that part, but everything else I'm a big liar about. Are you surprised by this decision? And have you been watching this trial? What made it so compelling? And were you worried that this guy may walk? I'll tell you, I was. And the reason I was is that I look at some of the justice cases that have happened of late. There's been a lot of cases where you look back and you go, how did that jury come to that conclusion? Where they, all you need is one person, one person who could have come out and said, you know what? I'm not 100% sure. I mean, remember the case of the shooter down in Orlando, down in Florida? There was one person who decided, at least one or two people who said he shouldn't get the death penalty. They were like, if that doesn't serve as the ultimate punishment, the guy killed so many people. And yet there were some jurors who weren't really sure. They felt a little sorry for him. And this guy, same thing. He gets on the stand. It was like crocodile tears. And he was sitting there going, oh, I love my wife. I love my child. And then they said, well, guess what? You were in the area at the time. Oh, no, I wasn't. And then they play the audio tape. And he's like, "Uh, yeah, that is my voice. Oh, I guess I was there. Oh, I guess I lied because I thought it would look bad. I mean, if I was on the jury, again, it would have been a three-minute decision. I'm surprised it did take them three hours. And a lot of people are saying this is one of the fastest jury decisions uh, that they have seen in a long time. And again, I agree with Greg Jarrett. What took them so long? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Here is the jury foreman who read the verdicts when it came in. And again, there were multiple ones, because remember, it was first, of course, charges for the son and charges for the mother as well. So multiple counts. And here's the jury foreman when they came down with the decision just a little bit ago. The state versus Richard Alexander Murdoch defendant, indictment for murder, SC code 16-3-0010, CDR code 0116. Guilty verdict. Signed by the four lady, 3223. 
Docket number 2022-GS-15-00593, the State of South Carolina, County of Colleton, in the Court of General Sessions, the July term of 2022. The State versus Richard Alexander Murdoch, Defendant, Indictment for Murder, SC Code 16-3-0010, CDR Code 0116, Verdict guilty, signed by the four lady, date three two of twenty three. Thank goodness they came back. But take a listen. This is Ashley Banfield, um, an attorney, also hosts a show on News Nation, and this was her reaction to the verdict. Take a listen. I am shocked at this verdict, Leland. You might not be because the deliberation was only three hours. But I lived through O.J., whose deliberation was under four hours after nine months of trial, and that was an acquittal. So I, even though I heard this early verdict, I still thought they could easily have found him not guilty. Uh, it only takes one round around the table, right? That's usually what a jury does when they go back and they yeah. start deliberating for the first time. There's no manual. They're never told exactly what to do, but they kind of figure it out on their own. But it sounds to me like they went one round around the table, probably had a unanimous verdict, and then just kind of went over each person's thoughts about that just to make sure that they were clear. Was there anybody in there who thought that this might end up like the OJ verdict, where we all sort of thought it was going to go a certain way? And was his maybe on the stand where he started crying and compelling and connecting with the jury? I think he had to take the stand. There's no question because the evidence just looks so bad. Uh, and he tried to, like, humanize himself. But you think about the moments in the O.J. case where it was like, uh, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit by Johnny Cochran. Remember that line that we all remember? And I remember where I was when the O.J. verdict came down. I remember I was at a I was at a location. I'll never forget this moment. I was at a restaurant and I remember we heard the I was covering the Pope, actually, who was in the United States at the time. And I like ran inside. We heard the verdict was coming in. So we go to a TV set. And it was almost like two different Americas because you could hear when the verdict came down and he was found not guilty in that case. Of course, later, civilly, there were other things. Well, remember, it was like divided America. Like I could see even in there, it was divided by race. You know, African-Americans were cheering and others were, were just with their in disbelief and shocked that he actually was walking in the criminal case. So was there a chance, do you think, here? I, I, because of that, after that case, I think, gosh, anything can happen in a jury room. You never know who's in the jury room. And again, in this kind of a case, when you're dealing with murders, uh, it has to be a unanimous verdict. So it just takes one person. I mean, who's the people in Florida that decided the guy who opened fire and killed all those people decided that he didn't deserve the ultimate punishment because maybe he was a nice guy who had a tough life? You know, I mean, there were people, there were people, there was a hung jury in a couple of these cases. So you just never know. You don't know if it's a mistrial or how it goes or if there's somebody back there that sympathizes or something he said, or no matter what the person says, they just can't believe he did it. Just like OJ. I mean, there are some people that I've talked to today who still say, OJ's not guilty. That was the right decision. And I ask them, what are they drinking? 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. And I will take your calls as soon as we come back. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So the jury took three hours to convict a very well-known attorney in South Carolina. Many of you know, by the way, I went to University of South Carolina, and I know people who know this guy and know the family and were stunned to hear that he was on trial because they said he was, you know, a well-known guy, a loving guy, all these other things. Uh, But clearly... He's got issues. And if I was on the stand, it would not have taken three hours to find Alex Murdaugh guilty of murdering his wife and son. He wanted everybody to believe, you know, I lied about uh, robbing. He said he basically, yeah, I took about nine million from my business. I did this. I did that. I yeah, I, I have a drug problem, all these things. But this one issue, I did not kill my wife and son. To me, if you're a liar in a whole bunch of these areas, guess what? You're a liar in every area. He wanted us to believe the 99% of the things he is lying about, but this 1%, he is not. And clearly the jury didn't buy it. But take a listen to this legal analyst on MSNBC, Katie Fang. Uh, I want to know where she's coming from. Take a listen to this one. It is kind of remarkable that the verdict came back so quickly after weeks of testimony being presented, after all the evidence that was presented in this case. But it clearly showed that the jury rejected any defense that was offered by Alec Murdoch, including the two days of direct cross and redirect that Alec Murdoch went through in his own defense. I thought as a former prosecutor, it was a huge mistake for him to take the stand. And it looks like the jury agreed that at the end of the day, Alec Murdoch lied and that he was a habitual liar and that he lied to be able to get himself out of the guilty verdict that he just had rendered. And by the way, I think he had no choice but to go on the stand. Apparently, though, uh, he wanted to. The word is that his attorney, who's actually a pretty well-known attorney, uh, Harputlian, down there in South Carolina, didn't want him to go on the stand. Uh, But he said, no, 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 I really want to go. I think it was that arrogance. And I have seen, you know, you see that time and time again with some of these people especially somebody who's an attorney, he thought, oh, gosh, I can talk my way out of it with the jury and basically woo them in and make them feel a connection to me. Uh, But obviously he can't change the facts, and the facts looked so bad for this guy. Uh, Let's go to Phil, line one. Phil, your thoughts about this case? This was a wild one. Well, let's go back almost 30 years to 1994 with O.J. Simpson. It's very simple. Man, Man drives up. Walks in his house, there's Ron Goldman and his wife. They're all shot to pieces, all messed up, blood everywhere. He turns around, goes outside, gets in his van, does the slow walk, okay? The man's in complete and utter shock. Now, I believe he did not do that. I believe that his wife and boyfriend, they owed a lot of freaking money for cocaine. They were big cokeheads. They owed maybe five, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. Dealers came in, said, you got the dough? No, die. Okay. The point is, OJ had no blood on him. 
This guy Murdoch had no blood on him. Okay, the weapon. Where's the weapon? OJ had nothing. There was no weapon involved, except except for these people having their throats cut and you know shot at. My point is, they they could have done a quick fingerprint thing on him, a you know finger check to see if if there's any uh, uh, exhaust from a gun on his fingers or hand. They didn't do that. My point is this: a man in his position, this guy Murdoch, owed a lot of money. I suspect the drug dealers, and they said, "You pay us by such a date, or." You're going to get the shock of your life. They wait, so wait, in. wait, wait. So let me, I'm trying to make sense of this, Phil. You actually think he didn't do it? You think some drug dealers did it, pay back to him? The man is so scared. He is absolutely petrified that if he, he draws a line, the possible drug connections that he owed money, and they were going to kill his, they threatened to kill his But family. he was in the area. See, I would believe that if that audio tape on the Snapchat didn't put him at the scene of the crime. That's where that goes down the drain. The Rita Cosby Show. Handling legal matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment where we honor our great police officers and their families, another powerful story. We're talking about South Carolina tonight. Here is a story coming from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, where a woman who received medical assistance from the police department there back in December has now just revealed that the officers not only helped her at that moment, but helped save her from a brain tumor. The incident happened on December 2nd on a highway, and Officer James Atten and Officer Schoomaker responded to a possible drunk driver when a vehicle struck the curb multiple times and failed to maintain in its lane. Now, when the officer stopped the vehicle, the driver, Tamara Palmer, showed no indications of being impaired by alcohol or drugs. However, the officers determined that Palmer was possibly having a medical episode of some sort after she continuously complained of a headache and requested an ambulance. Well, turns out on February 19th, Palmer informed the Mount Pleasant Police Department that hospital staff located a brain tumor and underwent an eight-hour procedure. She has since recovered and credits those two great officers for saving her life and suggesting that she go to the hospital and get checked out right away. How amazing is that? What a great, great story. And just another great example of our terrific law enforcement and what they do every single day. By the way, later on in the show, we're going to talk more about the decision uh, that a lot of people in the New York City Council, but it's not definite yet, uh, but that they want to give a settlement to the rioters in the summer of 2020. This is outrageous. These are the folks who were rioting and burning buildings and looting and beating up police officers And there is so much outrage today 
that now it looks like the city of New York is potentially looking at a settlement of $21,000 each for each of the rioters, saying that the police violated their rights and it was the same sort of day and basic location where they claimed that their rights were violated, where cops were beaten on the head with bricks and bottles and chairs. Uh, are you kidding me? They should be paying the police rather than them getting paid. But we're going to talk about that later on in the hour because you know how much we love our men and women in blue. And boy, do they have a tough job. Well, the jury didn't have a tough job in the case of Alex Murdaugh. This is the very prominent South Carolina attorney. It has been wall to wall on all the cable channels, especially when he decided he was going to take the stand in his own defense. He, of course, is accused of murdering his wife and his son. And he finally had to admit, uh, yeah, that was him on the audio tape. The son, I almost feel like the son uh, was speaking from the grave, if you will, because the son on his cell phone that was locked, by the way, so authorities couldn't get into it at first. They had to actually get somebody from the Secret Service to be able to open up the cell phone. And it took some time. And they finally opened it up a year and a half almost after the murder. And on it, suddenly the son, it turns out, was recording at the kennel. This is the area where they were both killed, riddled with bullets. And you could hear there was talking with the dog. There was this, there was this. And it was like minutes before the killing, obviously. And then in the background, you could hear the father in the background, the father's voice. The son captured it on his cell phone on a Snapchat. And it was actually there and able to be retrieved. So technology actually is what did this father in. He'd probably never, ever expected that the son was recording something. Maybe the son thought something was suspicious. Maybe there were clearly problems with the father and the son. And maybe he thought, "Uh oh, maybe things are getting ugly between the two. Who knows? Or something was going to happen to his mother. But for some reason, he was sort of rolling just a few minutes before he and the mother were killed. And you could hear in the background, it was the father's voice. He had denied ever being near the scene. And that was, I think, explosive. If I was on a jury, it would have taken five seconds the minute you hear that. But you just never know the way the justice system is these days. And we were just talking with Phil about O.J. I mean, O.J., who would have thought that O.J. would be walking around playing golf a few days later? But there he was, having the time of his life after he was acquitted. You looked at the evidence and go, oh, wait a minute, right? In that case, so many people said, that guy's guilty. But yet he walked. And then in this case, you just heard from Phil, even after everything I just said, and Phil is a super smart guy. He calls the show a lot. We love him. But it was interesting. Phil, who just called in, just said that he thinks maybe drug dealers did it, that there was some sort of connection and that he doesn't want to say anything because it would implicate the drug dealers. And that's what that is. But then he lied about all these other things, being in the area. He lied about all this. Uh, Is he scared of drug dealers? Where are the drug dealers, if that's the case? I mean, he was doing drugs. I will agree with Phil on that. But is it possible that somebody else committed this crime? First off, here is ABC News legal correspondent uh, talking about the fact that she believes he should not have taken the stand, that that's what she thinks killed him. I actually think that's what helped him. This is cut 26. And I actually think he had no chance. If he didn't take the stand... It would have been like, forget it. This is your voice. This is the voice. Okay, forget it, right? You know, they obviously would have been able to figure out it's his voice, and he would have been doomed anyway. 
I think he actually at one point at the beginning when he was testifying, he was kind of compelling. He was looking at the jury, kind of crying, weeping, all this other stuff. And you never know, even though we looked at it, at least I looked at it. uh, Not all of you did, but I looked at it. Phil felt differently that I thought that's a slam dunk. I mean, the guy lied about where he was. He's a drug dealer. He admitted to lying about a million things. And then he wanted us to believe the one thing that he didn't kill his wife and child. That was hard to just believe. And yet when he took the stand, according to this legal correspondent on ABC News, she says that was a mistake. Do you agree with her? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. And here is her analysis of that. Someone in his position should have allowed the family to testify and allow everyone else to speak as his surrogate, and he should have not taken the stand. But again, I think that speaks to the personality of Alex Murdoch. He wanted to take the stand, and he felt like he could sway that jury with his testimony. And obviously, his testimony fell flat on this jury. Yeah, obviously, it fell flat. But by the facts, you know, where you, how do you escape the facts? And here's a little bit more Um Here is an attorney for the Murdoch victims after the verdict. Tears and stuff weren't going to help him. All of that, and and as I watched during trial, I thought it was fake. I didn't believe it. I wasn't buying it. The charisma that he he had, that he used to take advantage of people for all this time and steal from clients, is what he was trying to use on the jury. And I'm I'm glad that they didn't buy it. Um, Innocent people would have no reason to lie about being with his family minutes before his death. And the jury saw through that. And I agree with that. Although Phil, who just called before, said he thinks maybe drug dealers did it. And he was just terrified and scared and doesn't want to throw them under the bus because he's worried what's going to happen to him. Is there anybody out there that agrees with Phil that thinks somebody else did it? And what did you think of the guy on the stand with the crocodile tears and his basically, trust me, I lied about everything. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen someone say, other than George Santos, right? But I've never seen anybody on this. There he was on the stand, and he's like, uh, yeah, I lied about, uh, yeah, I did steal about $9 million from my company. And yeah, I did steal from a disabled person. Yeah, I did do this. I do do drugs. I do do this. And there he was all cleaned up and scruffy and buffy and trying to look like, you know, a, a well upstanding man of society. Uh, and you just never know. You never know where a jury's going to go. In these kind of cases, there have been sometimes these kooky decisions, and you go, where the heck, what jury, what case were they watching? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Are we maybe, I guess, tainted in terms of where juries are going to go after everything that happened with like O.J. Simpson and some of these other very high-profile cases where you think, Oh, that's a slam dunk. And then again, OJ was on the uh, ninth hole like the next day. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Stan on line four. Stan, your thoughts. I enjoyed this case real nice. I thought this was Southern Comfort at its most pure. Is that, wait, is that your, like, really bad South Carolina accent? Oh, yeah, because <laughs> I, I thought this was, I liked it. Was, the prosecutor, I liked him a lot because it sounded more like he was sitting on the porch in Alabama talking to this guy. And it wasn't like, you know, did you do it? But you, maybe you did. How did you? I mean, it wasn't very affordable. It was more Southern style. 
I liked it. I thought he reminded me of Andy Griffith, I'm telling, from Mayberry. Although, but, by, the, by the way, Andy Griffith was a great actor. And and, yeah. and, and I think this, uh, you know, not the prosecutor, but I think uh, Alex Murdoch was a great actor, too. So oh, yeah, absolutely. there's the commonality. I, I mean, tell you something. If he did it, which, I, you know, it was circumstantial, uh, it was what, what killed him. It was no, what, kid, what did him in was the insurance policy. Oh, yeah, that's it, Stan. I'm glad you brought that up. Absolutely. Yes. Two million on the wife, a million on the kid. Yeah, and uh, and, and, and the other and thing. I li- and he lied about everything. Wait, <laughs> Stan, but Stan, actually, you know what's funny? It is, it, to me, it's actually funny that there was even a trial. It would have been like, okay, just send him away. Like, well, let's save the money because it was so obvious. The other thing, did you know this, Stan? There was an insurance policy on the housekeeper who also suddenly <laughs> ended up not. Up. Yeah, well, well, we don't know. They may like now uh, dig it up, uh, dig things. up the body and try to find out because this is interesting, Stan. Apparently, he as an attorney was representing the family of the housekeeper and was supposed to give the boys the insurance money from her death. And he never gave them the money. He, he robbed from them, too. Like, like a Dallas a Dallas episode from the old show. At Dallas. But the point that interests me is there were two things. One, there was no fingerprints on the body. There was no blood stains on the body. There was no nail things, nothing on the body. And so nothing, if he was a, which fascinates me. As a forensic scientist, somebody would have discovered something, but there was nothing. And the second, you ain't going to like this. The guy, he looked like Donald Trump's younger brother with the orange. I mean, wait, 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 wait. Who, who, Stan, <laughs> well, you have, you have orange, why? Because he had orange hair, orange man bad, orange hair. Is that where you're going, Stan? He looked a little bit like Trump's younger brother. Just for if you look at the guy, Stan, I said to myself, what the hell is this? Stan, does everybody look to you? I, well, Stan, look at the guy. I, I love you. You are so funny, but does, does everybody look like Trump, or is it either Trump or anti-Trump to you? I mean, is, no, that, no, is but this the, the guy world? Looked, the guy, if you just look at him for a second, and you isn't this Trump's younger brother? Just for a second. He I looks change. more to me like Opie, you know, from the Andy Griffith show. Uh, Opie, like yeah, a grown-up Opie, true. right? Yeah, or Danny Bonaduce. There, <laughs> there was a Southern style to this guy. I mean, it was in the South. And it was not like the nor- Northern cases where it was more relaxed. As crazy as that sounds, it was, but it was serious. And I said to myself, when is the guy going to take a bottle of Southern Comfort and have a drink or something? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it, unbelievable. It was gripping, though. Like, when he was yeah. testifying, it's funny. I hadn't watched the beginning of it, Stan. Yeah. But then when he started testifying, I was like, like, I, I didn't see Trump, by the way. But I saw Opie, and I thought, what is going on? This is really wild. And it, what was interesting, too, Stan, is his verbiage, because he's an attorney, um, I think he thought he's smarter than everybody else. He can fool the jury. And he was like, uh, I didn't intentionally. Who speaks that way? I would never intentionally kill my wife and son. Like, yeah. he, like in other words, uh, we're not asking if you intentionally you did, it. did it. We're asking if you did it. You know, Absolutely. like, you know, yeah. I mean, that to me, when you use that word intentionally, I thought, oh, he's like trying to couch it some way. Like, if they can prove he did it, then he can say, well, uh, you know, I didn't intend to. Like, it, like he was trying to give himself an out. It was so unnatural. But it's like he's been practicing in front of the mirror over yeah. and over again. Like, let me Rita, try another line. Rita, will he appeal? Do you think? I think he's going to appeal this thing. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's got an ego. I think he will appeal He is. It. He is. Uh, he is. Uh, I think he will appeal. He hasn't said it, but I bet you he will appeal. Um, and, and maybe he'll have some Southern comfort 
in jail. If they, I don't know if they give, they don't give you booze in jail. So I don't know if he'll get that in jail. Uh, and I don't know if anybody else will see the likeness with Trump that you see. Just but Just a little. Just a little. <laughs> just a little. Stan, thank you. You always All make right, us bye-bye. laugh. Have a good one. Thank bye. you, my friend. Let's go to BJ in Queens. BJ, uh, I didn't see any Trump in him. I saw Opie, but go ahead. Itchy and scratchy strike again. They always have the Trump derangement syndrome going. They see Trump in a piece of toast or in a puddle. That's great. BJ, you're right. Like, you know, when you get like a like a cup of coffee and sometimes they put a little swirl. I bet Stan, when he gets coffee in the morning, he looks at it and goes, oh, there's Trump's hair. Right. Exactly. And then he sees a blade of grass. (laughs) Some people see Jesus. He sees Trump. Anyway, uh, or alphabet cereal, all the letters pull up to Trump. Exactly. <laughs> I'm watching and, you stand Trump, right? That's what he and, sees. And, and the, the Yonkers uh, Fort Lee, uh, for, uh, Forest Hills uh, uh, itchy and scratchy uh, duo. You know, I tell you, I think um, they had this guy dead to rights. Bodies were dropping out of the sky around him. Housekeeper, the kid's best friend. The kid, the kid was involved in a fatal boating accident, and a girl wound up dead. Uh, the kid was his, his, the kid that he killed was chronically in, in trouble. The wife couldn't stand him. The guy was robbing left and right. He came from a dynasty of of, of thieves that robbed that they own that county down there. And I think what happened ultimately is that they just the people down there saw a chance to get rid of this guy. And, you know, and this speaks to two things. We live in a digital age. Whether you like it or not, you got to be a nice guy because they got you on tape. Number two, they, this guy uh, uh, was so uh, disliked uh, that they just decided to throw the book at him because uh, he decided he was so arrogant. He was self-will run riot. Once you decide to testify, you remove your presumption of innocence. So I think he damages his appeal because he opened his mouth. He would have been better off staying, being quiet and just taking the verdict if it looked so bad. But he was so arrogant that he thought he could use his golden tongue and what it turned into a golden shovel and it buried him. Yeah, you know, I agree. I think he thought, and you're right, he does hurt himself in that area. He left himself where he can't say, well, I didn't get to testify or I was advised against it because according to a couple of reports, the attorney was like, no, 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 you shouldn't. He's like, oh, I'll do it. Again, because he's an attorney, I think he thought he could pull one over. But the only problem I think, BJ, I think had he not testified and they were able to prove that it was his voice on that tape and he didn't kind of come up with some other excuse. I don't think he had anywhere to go. And I also think he thinks the jury is a bunch of morons because who would ever buy that I lied about every single thing and and horrible lies, just like you said, um, with all the stuff and the background and the drugs and, you know, all this stuff, right? Uh, but no, I'm not lying about this one thing. And jury, look me in the eye and trust me. You know, it's like once a liar, always a liar, BJ. Uh, great points. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody. Uh, thank you. I guess itchy and scratchy. I'm not sure which one called if it was itch or scratch, but we'll figure it out. BJ, thank you. 1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show. Well, I don't see Donald Trump in Alex Murdaugh, even though Stan somehow sees him and he sees a cloud and he says, oh, that looks like Trump's hair. 
That's what I think Stan does every single morning. And again, I'm not sure it's itchy or scratchy, but it's certainly interesting for sure. 1-800-848-9222. What did you make of the jury spending three hours, which in many cases is a pretty quick decision, and saying this guy is guilty as heck? And what do you think of the fact that this guy took the stand thinking he could convince the jury and humanize himself, if you will, to the jury and hope that they would think, oh, gosh, he's lying about everything else. But I want to believe him so badly that he didn't murder his wife and kid. What do you make of all that? one 800 848 Let's go to Mike on line two in South Carolina. Mike, uh, your take on all this, from especially down there uh, from South Carolina. Well, it's funny, you know, listening to... to uh... That guy stand trying to do his southern drawl and everything like that. Hey, why don't you take your, your your stick up to the Catskills, man? You know, here's my here's my take on this, Rita. I was telling Kenny. By the way, how long uh, would he last if he was on the Catskills? How long before they threw oh, a tomato please. at the act? <laughs> throw a tomato. Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll give you one of my Italian tomatoes. Throw it right at him, <laughs> and maybe. Maybe someone could buy him a Southern Comfort and he could, you know, uh, wax poetic and he could pat himself on the back. Oh, please. <laughs> but the, no, bot- the bottle will I, look I, like no. Trump to him. The bottle will look like Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Funny. Uh, I was mentioning to good man Kenny when I went on deck. If I was on a jury, I echo what you said, Rita. Uh, it wouldn't take me long at all. And this guy, you know, um, uh, opioid uh, uh, freak. Uh, insurance. It's all about the dead presidents. And how could anyone, I can't even wrap my rational mind around, you know, murdering your wife and your son, figuring he was smarter than everybody else. Maybe that's why he took the stand. And now you get these conspiracy theories and maybe he was a drug dealer. Who knows? But you know what? Uh, I I love my sports reader. I'm flipping before March Madness. And who comes on one of the channels? OJ Simpson. I want to get his opinion of this. And OJ Simpson you're going to meet your maker. You almost decapitated your ex-wife and uh, Goldman. And you know what? It, it's like psychotic behavior. And this Murdoch, hey, too bad, crocodile tears. Too bad. You get what you deserve, and you're going straight to hell. Yeah, and he will spend the rest of his life uh, behind bars, uh, which it, it's yeah. just it's a shocking crime. Um, and, you know, Mike, what's the reaction from South Carolina to this? I mean, the whole country has been riveted by this, but I can't imagine living down there. You know, I went to University of South Carolina and I know yeah. some people yeah. who were familiar with the Murdoff. They're like, oh, my God, I can't believe when it first happened. They're like, oh, this is such a well-known family. They were so shocked. Um, you know, how has it affected South Carolina? I mean, this is devastating. Well. I met a nice Southern gal. Um, I was a snowbird down here, you know, uh, since October. And uh, now I'm a resident. I signed a long-term lease, furnished place, condo, nice. Uh, we had a nice discussion about this. And it's, uh, it's um, you know, it's unbelievable. It's mind-boggling. And if he ever thought, you know, with his demeanor, and he was fooling anybody, he's fooling nobody. And you get what you deserve. And you were right. You hit the nail on the head. You know, in your analysis, Rita, and uh, but I do love South Carolina, and I'm going to try to get a, a little bit of an Italian uh, Southern accent. No, you, no, you know, you need to say it with a Southern accent, orange man, bad, and then you will sound more like Stan because he sees oh, Trump. Oh. He saw Trump and Murdoch. Do you? What did you make? I mean, what is this guy? What is uh, like? Everything is Trump. 
Oh, please. You know, I mean, I'll leave you with this. I was an extra in a couple flicks, a couple movies. And who do I meet 20 years ago? My age. One of my favorite shows, Ronnie Howard, a gentleman. Yeah, okay. Good like, luck to that guy, Stan. Yeah, good luck. Do, do your do your act, your sticker in the Catskills. <laughs> Mike, thank you very much. We're going to continue with your calls. Stan's got a gig in the Catskills. And we're talking about the Murdoch case and also Black Lives Matter getting money for what? This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Later on in this hour on the Rita Cosby Show, another action-packed show. Um, So many people are just outraged at the word that New York City is considering paying these rioters. I mean, these weren't peaceful protesters because they were bashing cops on the head with bottles and bricks and chairs and everything else. And that New York City and its very progressive city council is considering paying them, base, the protesters, $21,000 each. And it could ultimately cost New York City about $6 million total bill. And guess who pays for it? You and me, taxpayers. Uh, it's our money. Why would New York City ever do that? I mean, this to me is just astounding. And officers were getting like pummeled. Remember, they were getting shouted at. They were getting harassed. They were getting beaten on the head with bottles and bricks and chairs. And yet they continued to keep rioting. They continued to do all these things. And so later on in this hour, we're going to talk about that and then take your thoughts on if you think these rioters deserve a dime. Here's just a little bit of sound from some of the riots of 2020. This wasn't the summer of love. Right, so the cops, after they got beaten on the head and bricks and everything else, were they supposed to say to the rioters, oh, thank you, have a nice day, right? And so the rioters, some of them got arrested, thankfully. Not enough of them, quite frankly. And they were saying their civil rights were violated because they were detained, that they should have been allowed to peacefully protest. And listen to Tiffany Caban. This is a very progressive member of the New York City Council. Uh, her thoughts on basically... The fact that she said officers should have shown up for a hearing recently to basically do a huge mea culpa and tell everybody how terrible and bad they are. And because they didn't, shame on them. Listen to her. And those very same police with the opportunity this morning to take some responsibility for their actions are nowhere to be seen. Right. They're nowhere to be seen. Would you ever show up to a case like that? That is like, you know, that's like a three ring circus. To show up before the New York City Council that is considering this. What kind of council would actually ever agree to pay money? And yet they are seriously considering it. In fact, they've already done a number of payouts. 
And I would not be surprised if they do a payout on this one, too. They already did like close to 100 of them, and there's about 200 left. So based on the track record, I would not be surprised. A judge still has to approve it. But boy, is that a sad day for justice. And speaking of justice, I do say justice was served in the Alex Murdoch trial. If you're just joining us, he was found guilty on all counts. And it literally took a jury three hours to decide that this very prominent South Carolina attorney who got on the stand and was like, I'm a liar, I'm a thief, I'm a drug addict, but I didn't kill my wife and son. Well, the jury clearly did not believe it. What do you think did him in? And do you think that if you were on the jury, would you have found him guilty? Or would you let him walk? Because it was circumstantial evidence, but I contend it was over overwhelming evidence. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Carol, line seven. Carol, your thoughts. Hi there, Rita. You know, I'm surprised that the jury took as long as they did to convict him. Um, There was something off about him all along. And his son, he had another son that defended him. Butch, I think his name was. Yes, I saw it. Who looks like who looks like him? Like with the bright red yeah. hair, you can see him in the audience there. Yep, right. The redheaded son. He defended him. And I'm sorry, I knew he was guilty all along. You know what? I agree with you. Like I just had when I heard the evidence that he said he wasn't yeah. in the area, and then that turned out. I have a feeling like the son. Didn't trust the father, obviously. There was clearly problems. No. That he, and why would, so he was recording his literally final moments. You know, it was just a few minutes before. I know, that's, shock, that's shocking. It really is. It's almost like shocking. the son is like speaking, I said, speaking from the grave and basically saying, Dad, yeah. we got gotcha. you. You know what I mean? Like, what, what a horrible wow. case. Carol, I agree with you. If you and I were on the jury, I would say, if if you and I were the only two people on the jury, I'd say it'd be about 30 seconds. What do you think, Carol? And then we'd go out for definitely, dinner and have a good time. Definitely guilty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, Carol. Thank you so much. Let's go to Melissa, who is there in South Carolina, where the case took place. Uh, Melissa, are you near where this happened or not? Very near. I'm in Beaufort County, and God bless you for having Greg Jarrett on. He's also in Beaufort County, as he's exposed on other talk shows previously. So he's, I consider him a neighbor, and I consider him an angel in this scenario. He is. He is a I'm, great guy. That's why yeah, when this happened, yeah. I was like, I got to call Greg. We used to work together, obviously, at Fox, and uh, he was the perfect person to have on, and he's always so smart right. with legal analysis. Right, right. and he knows. I've lived here for many dozens of years, and I've been in court here in Beaufort County, and there's the good old boy network, which Greg totally understands, and that complicates this. So we were all sweating bullets waiting for that verdict because it could go either way. And so there are a lot of dirty hands. He would recognize that term. And so I'm going to tell you from from a personal standpoint, I'm, I'm someone who could have been the wife because these there are men, they're pathological narcissists who appear very charming on the surface, and everybody loves them and trusts them, and they're really good at lying and manipulating. And so this is what the, the 
prosecutors were able to bring out in this trial. This is huge. This needs to be studied and people need to learn from this because it's not funny. Two people were butchered by a man who was looking them in their faces. This is huge, Rita. I agree. You know, you know, the one thing you hit on, and Melissa, I'm, you know, I'm getting emotional, too, because I have covered a lot of domestic violence cases. And, you know, the leading cause of death when a woman is killed is is usually the husband. Um, and often on the surface, things look like the, everything is great and peachy keen. And obviously, there's something else that goes on behind the scenes. And I would have actually, if I was one of the prosecutors in the case, I would have actually brought that out. I don't think they really brought that out that much, but I would have highlighted it left and right. I would have said, yeah, he tries to say everything's great on the surface. He tries to say, do you know the leading cause of death? Do you know, you know, I mean, suddenly a a wife and a son are butchered. And he wants us to believe, you know, that he didn't do it, even though he lied about being there. That, to me, was so powerful. And he was on drugs. Uh, the, apparently, his company was about to, like, uh, you know, kick him out and change the name of his law firm because they found out he was stealing $9 million. So this guy was a con artist left and right. And you're right. Domestic abuse and domestic violence is is a horrible scary thing and it is happening in america so many times behind closed doors and i wish that this had been spotlighted um you know melissa i've told the story um and i've thought about this a little bit tonight of a case that i did early on in my career and this woman who i met who was really lovely and but it was very very shaken and it turned out that her husband had tried to beat her up multiple times the husband finally she finally had the courage to get him put away And she actually changed her name. She went into like a witness protection program when she found out he was getting out. But then he reached out to her and she saw him again and he killed her. And I have always thought about that case because that woman was the most lovely woman. And I got to know her. I covered her as a journalist. And I remember saying to her, now, don't go back to him. Whatever you do, you know, once somebody has a propensity to do that, don't go back And she went back and she was murdered by him. And I'll never forget when I got the call, it was like a gut punch because, you know, we knew what happened. Finally, they got the guy. Thank goodness, because it was obvious he was going to do it again. But this domestic violence is such a serious issue. And I, I hear it in your heart, too. Is this something that you're, you know, you've lived with or you know someone who's lived with? Rita, thank you. Yes. And I'm going to say you, you mentioned that he was on drugs. That's not an excuse. These guys are pathological liars. They're manipulators. They, they get away with things, and so we can't blame it on drugs. He tried to blame it on drugs. It's him. It's in him. And they blame the victims. He wanted to make himself the victim, and you will understand this. It's what you just told me. You've studied this. The perpetrators try to make themselves the victims. They want sympathy. They want to blame the victims that they butchered and killed or used. And so that's why he did the roadside, oh, I'm, I'm going to commit suicide and I'm going to pay somebody to pretend like I'm committing suicide so Busta can have $10 million. No, that wasn't about giving, giving a, a, a life insurance policy to Buster. It was about making Alex Murdoch the victim. Oh, you know, I have to kill myself to save my son, my other son.
and nobody ever played that out. So you understand what I'm saying. This is pathological narcissism. It's not narcissism. It's pathological. They're psychopaths. And if you could do a show telling people, teaching people what you already know, it would be so incredible for this country to understand what's really going on. I'm so grateful that you told told me about what you studied and what, what you know about other people who've gone through this. Yes, the wives make vows to their husband and to God, and they cover up and they get intimidated and beaten down. So this is a really serious issue. Oh, please. It is. No, you are absolutely <laughs> right. I'm speaking from the grave of Maggie Murdoch. I think I we all are tonight. To I think we all are, and also her uh, her son, uh, Melissa. Thank you. What a what a powerful call and what a powerful reminder. And and I uh, I, I again I think the jury should have really highlighted uh, been highlighted that by the prosecutor. If I were the prosecutor, I would have opened up with that. You want us to believe? You want us to believe? Here are the facts, ladies and gentlemen. Um, how many wives are killed by their husbands because of domestic abuse? Um, you know, you want us to believe this guy's lying here, here, and here, and this is the one reason he's not. And look at the history here. And there are so many cases. You want to, you know, the surface, so many cases. I would have recited cases where people thought on the surface things look good and were clearly not behind the scenes and how this definitely appears to be the case in this one. Um, Melissa, thank you very, very much. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody, after the break. one 800 The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, which we love doing, we're so excited we're doing it early tonight just because we love our great military and their families. A powerful story coming from Nebraska where six veterans were honored at a Veteran of the Month ceremony. Six U.S. military veterans were honored this month uh, by the Saunders County Veterans Service. Now, among those on the February 17th ceremony were Nelson Brothers, Clyde, Larry, and Dale Nelson, who, along with others, received a certificate thanking them for their service. By the way, drafted in 1961, Clyde Nelson received several awards during his time of service, an expert rifle badge, an Army Occupation Medal, and an Armed Forces Expeditionary Medal. His younger brother, Larry, volunteered and became an artillery specialist in 1962. And the third Nelson brother, the oldest of the bunch, Dale Nelson, who made a trip to Wahoo for the ceremony, served in the Army from 1953 to 1956. Um, By the way, uh, one of them was a merchant mariner. You know how much I love the merchant mariners. And he was on a merchant marine ship traversing the ocean uh, from Camp Kilmore, New Jersey, to Germany, and talked about just an incredible time and just the power of the ocean and how dangerous and treacherous it was and how beautiful that these three brothers and three others were honored as Veterans of the Month, and how great that they were all there together to receive a plaque and recognition. And that's why we always love doing our Support Our Heroes. I was so excited that it was three brothers. I was like, I got to do it early tonight. 
So we love our great military and their families. Well, we are talking, of course, about Alex Murdoch, who was found guilty in the murder of his wife and son. And it took the jury three hours. How much you want to make a bet that they're like, yes, 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 yes. Hey, uh, do you want to eat a sandwich for a few hours or do something? You know, let's just, are you sure? Oh, yeah, we're positive. He lied through his teeth. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Robert, uh, line two. Your thoughts, Robert, about all this. Hi, Rita. What did you think? What did you make make of the jury? Uh, Well, I could tell you my grandmother's experience on a jury. Can you make it quick? Can you make it quick, Robert? Yes. Older people have a lot of life experience. That's why a lot of jurors and judges are older people. They know things that younger people don't. My mother deadlocked a jury in Nassau County years ago because she knew he was guilty. She was not going to change her verdict, although the other 11 people on the jury were going to acquit him. I know he's guilty of sin. <laughs> wow. Look at your love. By the way, uh, your grandmother is great. And the fact that she stayed strong, because I always think if somebody has a conviction, um, you want them to stay. And obviously, I mean, I don't know the case, obviously, but clearly she thought he was guilty of sin. And I'm glad that she actually, uh, you know, decided. And it just shows that. You know, different people have different life experiences. They come into the jury room. You don't know where they're going to go. Um, were the other people on the jury her age or were they younger? Oh, they were older. Oh, they were older. Oh, that's interesting. So how does that make sense? I thought you said older has more experience, Robert. Um, they were a mixed bunch of jurors, okay? It was pretty fairly evenly picked between the prosecution and the defense in voir dire. Yeah, and, and by the way, you brought up a good point, because with voir dire, that is the key. That's when they go around and, like, decide who gets to be on the jury pool. And uh, I told you guys I was on a jury one time, and I thought I wouldn't get picked because I, I was a journalist. And, I, and the guy said, uh, do you always have to look at both sides of the story? And I said, absolutely. Do you try to be fair to both sides? Yeah, and actually, as it turned out, it was really smart that he had it because there were some people that were ready to like go the other way. And I was like, wait, 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 in the jury room, a little bit like your grandma. I was like, wait a minute. We need to look at this side of the story. We need to look at this. We need to look. And I ended up being, I guess, a pretty strong voice in the jury room, as it turned out. And he was actually smart to pick me because he knew I would kind of maybe not fall for, uh, you know, the crocodile tears, almost like Alex Murdoch. Sound familiar? Uh, Let's go to Dino on line eight. Dino, your thoughts about all this. How you doing? I I love your show, Rita. I want to say two things, Melissa and Carol. I feel for Melissa. She's absolutely right about men being narcissists. And this is a bad epidemic that's going on. And I I just wish her the best. And Carol's right. I would have had that verdict in three minutes. He's guilty as sin. I myself did seven years. And I wish I had a guy on my jury like Phil, because I believe Phil still believes in the tooth fairy. What did you called, do, Adino? What did you do seven years for? I uh, I was, 
it was conspiracy. I never, I, I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. I don't get high. I don't do any kind of paraphernalia. I had information and I got <clears throat> indicted for conspiracy. My jurors never gave me a chance. All they had to get, all they needed is one guy like Phil, because just like Phil said, there was no blood. He was comparing O.J. Simpson. So I um, wish I had a juror that would say, you know, I had a clean record. I had a great judge. Out of uh, <clears throat> out of nine and a half, I did a little under seven. Did so, you do it, Dino? Was it the right decision? Absolutely, I got what I deserved. I, I I had I my my case was about conspiracies. It was conspiring. Wow! And so, Dino, yeah, so, uh, Dino, you are great. Wow! I appreciate your honesty and your candor. Thank you. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. talking about legal matters tonight on the Rita Cosby show and uh, boy this one takes the cake the fact that the New York City Council has basically said that there should be a payment to the protesters during the summer of 2020 those rioters that essentially they made the claims these peaceful protesters I'm being facetious because we saw the images of them breaking into stores, looting into stores, arson, burning businesses down, beating cops on the head with bricks and chairs and bottles. But no, if you listen to some of the members of the New York City Council, you've got Mother Teresa's out there on the streets. And now the City Council is looking at a potential settlement with these protesters, many of them parts of Black Lives Matter, and it was an organized protest, by the way. The one that they're referring to was scheduled on June 4th, 2020 at 6.30 p.m. in the Bronx. They basically like put the word out knowing that there was a curfew at 8 p.m. that had been instituted after a week of protests following the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. So this was an orchestrated effort to basically go after the cops, wreak havoc, uh, terrorize New York City, as many of these protesters did across the country. And now they are claiming that their rights were violated because they were sort of encircled by cops. It's a term called kettling, where they're basically like blocked in. And they say that that violated their civil rights because they couldn't go anywhere. Many of them, of course, were arrested. And they said that that was, quote, an unlawful arrest. And now the New York City Council, the very progressive New York City Council, has essentially said, well, there should be a settlement of $21,000 each to these rioters. I say they should be paying that and then some to the taxpayers. What about to the businesses who had their buildings burned down to the ground? What recompense do they get? What about the police officers that were beat on the head and verbally and physically assaulted? They should get paid. The city of New York This is a taxpayer-funded settlement that they're talking about. A judge still has to approve it, and I hope to God that judge does not approve it. If that judge approves it, shame on him or her. That is insane. Who would pay the protesters $21,000 with a price tag of about $6 million because there's a couple hundred of them? 
saying that their rights were violated. I thought it was a misprint. When I read it, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. But very progressive New York City is considering it. What are your thoughts on all this? It's 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. First off, here is a protester saying just how horrible the cops were. Take a listen. They think that they're going to go back to the old ways of policing, that we're going to take to the streets again. There will be riots, there will be fire, and there will be bloodshed. You can't forget that guy because that's Hawk Newsom. He is head of Black Lives Matter New York. And does that sound like a peaceful protester? Does that sound like someone who's just out there to get a message about unity? And here is another person, Samra Sierra, who was a Bronx protester. They started hitting people with batons. They started ramming people with the bikes. They started t- um, spraying tear gas. They started. Pe- there were cops on on top of cars that were punching um, demonstrators. It was terror. I'm wondering what video was she looking at? Because the video that I saw was basically people calling cops pigs and throwing things at them and beating them. And for some reason, New York City Council was upset the cops didn't appear to defend themselves over this matter. Would you ever show up if you're a cop? And I know many of you are who listen to the show because we love our men and women in blue. That is this is like the definition of just an alternate universe. That first off, if somebody, if I was on the New York City Council, I'd go, are you kidding me? Get out of here. You know, how much do you owe us? And I would send them the price tag of all the businesses that were burned. Billions of dollars, 19 plus people murdered, killed during the summer of 2020. And yet these people think they should be collecting a dime. And New York City looks inclined to do it. They already paid some of them that amount. And it looks like they're going to pay a whole bunch more. And these are our taxpayer dollars. How in Saying here is uh, an attorney for the protesters. Listen to this. This was a peaceful demonstration. And as the protesters made their way down the street, the police officers stopped them, trapped them before the 8 p.m. curfew, kept them from leaving, and then um, moved in on them from all sides with overwhelming force. They were swinging their batons at people. They were using their fists. They were um, spraying pepper spray. They physically picked up um, a few of our clients and threw them onto the ground. Oh, because I'm sure your clients were being so nice to the police. Uh, What were they supposed to use, like uh, squirt guns? I I mean, this is just insane. We all saw the images. It looked like the city was on fire and there was so much damage and so much destruction. It was on fire in many parts, but it was like spreading like wildfire And people were scared to go out. That's why the curfew was there, because it was so dangerous. And these people then planned a riot right before a protest or whatever you want to call it gets out of hand. And they have the audacity to ask for it. And New York City Council has the audacity to start paying it. Here is the former NYPD commissioner, the great Bill Bratton. He was on with me earlier tonight. You know, I host another great show here on WABC Radio with John Katsimatidis, the owner and operator of Red Apple Media. It is called Cats and Cosby at 5 o'clock. And we launched about a week and a half ago. We're having tons of fun uh, and talk about all the hottest topics. And we had the pleasure of interviewing former NYPD Commissioner Bill Bratton, who commented about this preposterous notion that New York City will be paying these rioters. Listen. City effectively, uh, the police department can't comment on it because it is uh, being litigated 
but the likelihood is that there will be some type of uh, payment made to the it was basically a group of anarchists who were intent on uh, causing great mayhem up in the Bronx. Uh, the department appropriately sought to prevent that from occurring. Uh, the tactics they used are being challenged. Uh, was there some uh, uh, inappropriate use of force? Well, that's part of the case. But the reality is that uh, during the George Floyd demonstrations in New York City, the NYPD saved the city from suffering the issues that so many other cities around America face in terms of the widespread looting, fires over repeated nights. They able to shut it down after one night. Yeah, bravo to those officers when they finally were allowed to do their jobs. Because remember, Bill de Blasio, the super soft on crime mayor, said basically, like, stand back. And when they were finally allowed to do their job... They were remarkable. And I think they also showed remarkable restraint. I mean, think about what they were going through at that time. And it was clearly an orchestrated group of New York City provocateurs and people from the outside. Uh, And it was deadly. It was dangerous, uh, not just for citizens, but also for law enforcement. And they had the courage to go out there and try to quell that mess. And they did, like, masterfully. Remember, it was like, 24, 48 hours, the protests were basically under control for the most part, you know, and they don't even get a kudos. They get that they overstepped protesters' rights. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jacqueline on line eight. Jacqueline, your thoughts about this? This is nuts. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, you know my thoughts on it. It It is nuts. And I seriously, I was talking with my friend Norm. I seriously am considering organizing a protest uh, so that no further payments are made to any of these rioters. I did hear you on uh, your your Katz and Cosby show, and I did hear the police commissioner. Now, if you can clarify something for me, because I wasn't quite certain. I was under the impression that it's the New York City Corporation Council that authorized those payouts. But according to what the police commissioner said, he said something about a federal judge and it being a federal matter. So I'm thinking if we're going to have a protest, it should be at the offices of the Corporation Council. I don't know. Can you cl- can you explain that to me? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, he said definitely city council played a role in this and the very progressive. But the judge, what he did say is it's not a done deal yet because a judge still has to approve it, the federal judge, and because okay. it's dealing with cops. So there's still a chance that this federal judge will say, uh-uh, this is not appropriate, this is not legal, this is not right. Hopefully, uh, he has some common sense, but he said it basically rests with that judge. Um, so, it, you know, clearly it's full steam ahead with many members of the New York City Council. I mean, you've got you've got these really far, far lefties like Tiffany Caban and some of these others that are hardcore lefties, um, and they think the protesters are Mother Teresa out there, you know? And and but yet, you know, you heard Bill Bratton. I mean, Bill Bratton also brought up the point. It's an interesting point. And in fact, um, I want to play cut 14 here um, because this is interesting, Jacqueline, because he brought up the point in the interview, too, that this would incentivize others to basically, quote, game the system, if you will. You know that, you know, if you pay a, a protester, um, especially when in a case like this where the cops were doing yeoman's work um, and and heroic work. Uh, and then somebody else sees it, they're going to be like, oh, okay, great, well, maybe I'll create a protest and see if I can get paid out. Ka-ching, ka-ching, like you're creating a, a, a company of uh, 
bad uh, money payments. And this is what um, a John Jay College professor had to say, basically the same thing. Take a listen, Jacqueline. You have to be careful that you're sending the wrong message, too, where basically you're saying that the police are neutered from this point on when you have to deal with a situation of civil unrest. Yeah, it sends the wrong message to cops and it incentivizes bad behavior. Uh, Does that answer your questions, Jacqueline, a little bit? Yeah, it did. So I guess we just have to kind of wait and see what happens with the federal judge's decision uh, before going any further. And then, you know, we'll take it from there. But I, we have to be outspoken about this. This cannot uh, continue. It is out. It, it, it is shocking. And, and Jacqueline, the good news is it seems that there's a lot of people who are just outraged about it and speaking out. So hopefully that judge uh, is thinking about it and thinking clearly when he makes his decision. Jacqueline, thanks so very much. Let's go to Stuart, line seven. Stuart, your thoughts about this? Yes, Rita, to back you up, I saw videos, it would have been around uh, June or July of 2020, of these anarchists. It was across the street from the Barclays Center uh, and the shopping center in downtown Brooklyn. And I can tell you for a fact what I saw, these uh, quote-unquote demonstrators were clearly, clearly trained, and I believe by an organization called the Sunrise Movement that purports to be for climate change, but they were trained to physically engage and physically confront the police. The police were there with riot shields and shields over their faces. I saw women, young women, trying to lunge at the police officers' faces. They were deliberately trying to physically engage, and they were trained to do so. And the city council woman, Tiffany Caban, should not be allowed to get away with this. They have videos of this. I've seen them, and they're giving only half the story. Yeah, and you know what? All you have to do is look at, like, even some of the coverage from that time. I mean, there was so much of it. It's like, what did they find, like, the the one frame where an officer was pushing them compared to the 90,000 frames of video where the other reality that we all saw plain as day uh, I mean, and also you have to say, listen, cops, you were in an extraordinarily difficult situation. If you had to push somebody back in the chaos of the fog of so many people swearing at you and beating you and throwing rocks and bottles at you and calling you pigs in a blanket and all that stuff. Um, you know, you know, these people, I haven't heard people say, oh, my head was cracked. I've heard that, oh, I was arrested or I got served a, uh, a notice to appear. Wah, wah. You know, I mean, that is ridiculous. That is insane. Let's go to Norm. Line six. Norm, your thoughts about it. Yeah. Good, good point from your previous caller and my friend Jacqueline, of course. Um, hey, Norm, get closer. Um, you, you sound like you're in a, in a, in a uh, fish tank. Go ahead. Is it, does it sound better now, Rita? Yeah, a little bit better. You're still a little uh, – can you call us uh, back, Norm? Uh, I don't know. Something wonky here. I'll Norm, just say Norm, it very clear. Okay, yeah, go quick. Okay, if the BLM Antifa marauders are permitted to get the $21,000 judgment, then the NYPD and New York citizenry should sue in order to recoup that money. The city council, particularly Tiffany Caban, former Mayor Bill de Blasio, former Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and Vice President Kamala Harris, to sue for encouraging and mobilizing the criminal chaos they caused and encouraged that summer. Well, and you know what? You bring up a great point, Norm. You always hit some great stuff here. And 
you know, you're reminding me, of course, about Kamala Harris, who was funding the Minnesota Freedom Fund. That was the bailout fund. And in fact, I mean, there were people who were protesting in New York and they had little slips like, you know, they were handing out slips. Basically, that's how orchestrated it was. I mean, it was like, here's water. Here's what you do. If you get arrested, don't worry about it. We'll bail you out. Here's the phone number to call. It was like, you know, somebody hands out a business card. Here they hand basically a get out of jail free card. Don't worry. You'll be covered. And she was encouraging people to support that fund. Um, so you could make the case, yeah, that she was encouraging some of that. Although, you know, every time, remember, there's also her on video saying, uh, you know, they're doing a good job. They should keep on doing it. And that's what Nancy Pelosi said, too. I mean, I mean, all these people who during it were like, keep on going. You're doing a great job. What, destroying America? I mean, it it, it is insane. But you're right. You could You could connect the dots and say they were encouraging, clearly, this bad behavior. They weren't condemning it. 1-800-848-9222. We'll continue your calls after the break, and you're listening to The Rita Cosby Show. The Rita Cosby Show. So much outrage after we know how tough the job is for law enforcement officers. There was an officer in Patterson, New Jersey, who was injured. He was shot in the leg. Thank goodness he's going to be okay. But there was also a Chicago police officer who died during a domestic dispute um, that he was responding to a call. And in chase, he was killed. So it is so dangerous. Our men and women in blue are putting their lives on the line every single day. And then they're out there under this extraordinary circumstance of a protest, of a riot, of things that are going on in that particular case. And in that case, they were surrounded by thousands upon thousands of people who were shouting at them, pushing them, shoving them, doing all these things. And now they are basically being accused of overreaching. This is insane. Let's go to J.C. in Pennsylvania. J.C., can you believe that the New York City Council sounds like they're going full throttle on this. I hope, as we were just talking, that I hope a judge says, no way, I am not going to give these people a dime. But what are your thoughts? Oh, this is so crazy. I saw the films. They were, t- yeah, they were screaming and yelling at the top of their lungs, right like inches away from their face. The, the police were standing down. They were throwing bottles of water, cans at them. Spitting in their face, it is unbelievable. So what are we going to do? Are we going to, for the people who are actually downtown, who burned the bill, burned up the stores and looted, are we going to pay them a, at a different rate? Uh, this is this is really crazy. And that, that nut at the city council uh, complaining that the people, the, the police officers didn't show up, is she ridiculous? You know what this reminds me of? This stupid new policy they have in the schools. What is it called? Passive justice? Or some ridiculous stuff where the, the bullies have to come before the victims and they have to see them, they, it was, look them straight in their face, and the victims have to tell them how they feel. And then the, the bullies will say they're sorry, and the victims are supposed to say, well, okay, we forgive you. Is get the same mentality. These Democrats, they're just unbelievable. I don't know what lens. They see the world in, but they definitely do not see it 
in the, the American way. They do not see it. The police deserve support. Yeah, the can you, by the way, JC, can you imagine you're a law enforcement officer and you're out there? And we talked to a number of ones that were out there in the thick of it, and they just felt so demoralized and so disgusted. And, and also, remember, they were basically told, stand down for a bit, try not to inflame things. They, I mean, there were shots of like officers just getting punched and beaten and sworn at, and they just had to stand there and pretend like it wasn't happening. Um, because they were given orders to basically try not to, quote, inflame anything. And then finally, uh, epiphany happened with basically Bill de Blasio, where we realized, you know what, maybe we need to get tough on people that are burning and looting and beating cops on the head, you know. And then they finally were able to crack down on it and rein it in. But a a cop's job is so tough. And then you're going to say, Oh, we're going to pay the protesters. I mean, who wants to be a police officer? No wonder they're having trouble recruiting now, JC. They're having really tough times. And there was a story about how they've lowered the standards of cops. You know, they don't have to do the run. They don't have to do the certain things because they, who wants to be a police officer, especially in New York City these days, if they don't feel, they feel like the council is paying uh, protesters. This is like a, like a bad movie, JC. No, it is, it's quite incredible. You know what? Like, what if tomorrow all the police say, hey, you know what? We're going on strike, you know? What, what, are these, what, what is the city going to do? What are these politicians going to do? You know what? They'll be at their door, too, uh, looting. And, I mean, did they want this to turn into Minneapolis, where they burned down the police stations, where they, they actually ransacked the stores in their own neighborhoods, where that poor security guard, who was a former police, I think, captain. Yep, David Dorn. Captain. David Dorn. Yeah, yeah and he, he, they shot him. It's, it's, um, is that what they wanted it to turn into? It's, and, or Seattle, the city of love? Oh, yeah, that, that, was, that was really good out there, too. Yeah, and to pay them a dime, you're right. It, it incentivizes despicable bad behavior. I'm with you, JC. Thank you. Let's go to Rick. Line three. Rick, your thoughts. Hey, Rita, when's the next protest? I need 20 grand for gas and groceries. Yeah, you know what? But, you know, you bring up a, a point because that is how these people, I think, look at it. It's like ka-ching, ka-ching. And it's this lawsuit nation. And these cops, uh, you know, uh, don't have a chance. When you've got a city council that says, why didn't the cops show up and take accountability? What kind of a what, what officer would ever show up before this kangaroo court, you know? It's crazy. It's like advertising. Come to New York and burn things and break windows and we'll give you 20 grand. Exactly. And they wonder why they can't keep good police officers because the good ones are going, uh, what? What? Like, is this, you know, is this Mars or is this New York? Uh, Let's go to Eric, line five. Eric, your thoughts. Hey, Rita, this is the Marxist recruiting. And this the one thing that this does. It tells us they're going to do it again. Uh, I, I expect Jimmy from Brooklyn to probably call in about this tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, we have to watch out. And we have to pr- protect our police stations because they're not kidding. They're not kidding. They're not going to stop. No, they're it's not going to stop. Line. You're right. And sadly, you know, Eric, they're incentivized. Uh, it's like a little kid. If it's bad behavior, uh, you can't allow them to do it. And I think, you know, there should have been more arrests, not less arrests. This is insane, and we need to support our great men and women in blue. We have these great cops, and they need our backing. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network.